Welcome to Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and as always, you can find my newsletter that I'll be reading on jimmysong.substack.com. Why altcoins are no different than fiat, Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 261. Vitalik Buterin made the news again, criticizing Bitcoin maximalists about their support of El Salvador. The post is obviously a way to rationalize his anger at the El Salvador government for not including Ethereum in their Bitcoin campaign. He specifically uses words like cryptocurrency and crypto space to make it seem like Ethereum should be considered as similar to Bitcoin. Never mind the fact that Ethereum is insanely centralized, that they change the monetary policy every six months and are constantly picking winners and losers on their platform, whereas Bitcoin is decentralized. This post is amazingly self-serving. This is a guy who believes in Keynesian economics, normalized pre-mines, and purposefully created a platform that encourages scamming. Now he suddenly cares about legal tender laws? This is about as objective an analysis as taxi drivers complaining about Uber and pretending it's about public safety and not about their jobs doesn't care at all about El Salvador's policies, and he's only criticizing them because Ethereum doesn't have the status that Bitcoin does. But enough about Vitalik's hypocrisy. That's not what I'm writing about today. The real question is why did Vitalik write that post? And why are media outlets covering it? Vitalik's post points to a characteristic of altcoin projects. Altcoins have incentives that end up making its owners dependent on its controllers. Owning Ethereum doesn't just mean an investment. It's being sucked into the entire ethos of the ecosystem. That ethos is one where pre-mines, money printed for the sake of the insiders, is fine. Where raising money from the public without any investor protections is fine. Where marketing, not merit, trumps all. Traders talking up their own book is nothing new. The entire investor class sings the praises of the investments they own. Like Vitalik, investors in stocks will generally be against public policies that hurt their investments and in favor of public policies that benefit their investments. In other words, the investors become a worker for the investment in some way. This is in contrast to what an investment is supposed to be, where the investment works for the investor. This dynamic is something that's inherent in fiat monetary systems because the investor class is so large. Fiat money doesn't store value very well, which means that anyone that wants to store value has to invest. This means that we have a lot more people investing that frankly shouldn't be. They're not necessarily talented at capital allocation and are much more susceptible to marketing rather than fundamentals or merit. As more people are forced to become investors that don't have the evaluation skills that good capital allocators have, Marketing the investment becomes more important than the investment itself. As a result, the investors become not just political partisans on behalf of the investment, but also its marketers. It's not just important to allocate money, but to also get others to allocate money to the same investment. This dynamic is true of stocks, but the dynamic is even more prominent in altcoins. At least with stocks, there's a clear business model that can be grasped by any reasonably informed person fraudulent companies like Enron withstanding. With all coins, the utility of the coin is in the code, which few people understand and even fewer people verify. 
Thus, altcoins, as opposed to stocks, are much more dependent on trust. This opens up enormous gaps of understanding, making marketing that much more important. In other words, convincing people trumps any fundamentals or merit. So what are the consequences of an investor class that acts this way? Such investors essentially trust the centralized controllers of these tokens with their money and recruit others into their scheme through marketing. They don't understand what the token does other than what they've been told by their central controllers. If this sounds familiar, it should. It's how MLMs and pyramid schemes work. In other words, they're more dependent on the central controllers than even fiat money. This is why so many people pay close attention to what Vitalik says. He is the Jerome Powell of Ethereum, and how he views things matters because everyone that owns Ethereum is trusting in him. Actually, he's more than just Jerome Powell. He's also Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and all nine justices of the Supreme Court in one. This is in stark contrast to Bitcoin, where verifying is the norm and trusting is frowned upon. ETH holders are forced to trust Vitalik more than USD holders are forced to trust Jerome Powell. Which should lead to the question, how trustworthy are these altcoin central controllers? Given how altcoiners can print their own money, it's not a surprise that a lot of known scammers, particularly those good at marketing, called confidence men, are in the space. Most people are aware of Craig S. Wright's sordid history, but comparatively few people remember that Vitalik once tried to start a company based on quantum mining. All coins require trusted third party, and that's why they're no different than fiat. So I wrote this piece because, uh, you know, I was pissed off at uh, Vitalik. Uh, you know, he's like saying, oh, Bitcoin maximalists are, uh, you know, encouraging legal tender laws, which are unjust and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, like you cared at all about El Salvador or legal tender laws before, uh, you know, El Salvador did this. It, it's, it's such a disingenuous argument. Um, I think Alex Gladstein pointed out that you know, he hasn't said anything about any of the violations of human rights of El Salvador or anything like that. He's never complained about legal tender laws in any other context. This is just complete BS uh, to sort of like market, right? And it's a, it's a way to rally the troops in Ethereum. And this is something that, uh, that, that he does and he's forced to do because he is the leader of Ethereum. Like I said... He's not just like Jerome Powell, who does the monetary policy. He's also the president, the speaker of the house, the you know judge, judge, and everything. He, he's he's everybody. Uh, uh, like he's the guy, and everyone has to trust Vitalik. So whatever he says is paid attention to, much in the same way everyone pays attention to anything that Jerome Powell says because they want to know what the Fed is doing. Um, and that that's sort of this weird dynamic that comes into play. Um, and that's what I wanted to point out in this piece is that all these Ethereum people, they are trusting in Vitalik like in a huge way, more so than U.S. dollar holders are trusting in Jerome Powell. And it's absolutely insane that this is considered decentralized. <laughs> uh, anyway, that, that that was the point of the piece. Uh, let's uh, let's take a look at Bitcoin. Peter Wolle has a write-up on how to encode SecP256K1 pub keys to make them indistinguishable from random bytes. 
It uses the alligator squared algorithm, which is a way to covertly transfer public keys, say in an adversarial environment. His contribution here is to modify alligator for use with the SecP256K1 curve, which allows for this covert public key transfer. This sort of thing may be very useful as governments like China look to restrict Bitcoin even more. Um, so the, the point here is more that he wants to transfer. Uh, if you have two parties that want to transfer a public key and don't want anybody in between to be sniffing it out, what you can do is make it em embed it into basically a random stream and make it indistinguishable from just noise. Um, and that's a very useful thing from a cryptographic standpoint because that transfer will not be sort of like middled and you can you can still detect uh you know whether or not you got the public key properly and so on um and you know um it's a very interesting uh you know contribution that he's made because alligator uh did not uh, the original alligator algorithm from daniel j bernstein didn't include the sec p256k1 curve so um he modified it to work and he calls this algorithm alligator squared square explains how they're approaching self-custody and in particular how they're going to build multi-sig into their product their approach is not the typical Coke wallet setup, looking to eschew the display and making it multi-sig by default. They seem to be looking to question every assumption in the Bitcoin self-custody space. And I think that it will that will lead to a really interesting and innovative product. So they are, I mean, like we've had hardware wallets for a long time. We've had Trezor and Ledger for many years. Um, obviously, Cold Card and many others have come in since then. Uh, but they're they're really asking the fundamental questions. Do you do you really need a display? Um, and if they can eschew the display, then even better. Um, now, how how are they going to do that? I'm I'm not really sure. Uh, but it would be very interesting to figure out how they're going to do that. Um, so um, you know, I, I I look forward to what they're actually going to do. And if they if they can sort of get away with not having a display, that would be freaking amazing. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, Casa's Keystone has, uh, well, Casa has a QR code signing option using the Keystone hardware wallet. They finally have a way to use the hardware wallet's air cap gap facility, uh, capabilities and allowing signing without the need to plug in hardware to potentially compromise computers. Good on them for allowing this option and good to see that Keystone continues to push forward on the hardware wallet development front. Um, so Keystone is a wallet that uh, used to be, um, I think, uh, associated with an exchange, but they went off on their own. Um, but they, they are a Bitcoin-only wallet, and uh, they, they have this QR code signing option, and which is great uh, because now you don't need to plug in anything. And Casa is taking advantage, and they have a blog post on how they did it. Um, I really like this AirCap uh, QR code uh, you know, as a way to transfer data, because um, then you know that, you know, no, nothing is getting infected and so on. Um, and, you know, hopefully it, it becomes more of a thing. All right, let's talk about Lightning. Anthony Towns has a proposal for PTLCs to be used with Lightning. The idea is that HTLCs, hash timeline contracts, require a lot of data storage to make sure that your counterparty isn't cheating. By using PTLCs, point timeline contracts, 
This data storage can be reduced significantly while preserving the trustlessness of payment channels. The proposal is very clever and cleans up Lightning implementations uh, considerably. I look forward to seeing what drawbacks there are to this proposal. Um, so a uh, very interesting proposal. Uh, and PTLCs are usually um, you know, associated with L2, but what AJ is saying here is that, hey, like, you can get all these benefits just uh, even without L2, mostly around, uh, you know, storage, uh, which in Lightning, you, you have to store every previous state uh, because they may cheat. And But there's a much more clever way to do it if you use points instead of hashes. So ha instead of having a hash pre-image, you use like, a, uh, you know, a point and you relate the point to the previous one by, uh, you know, figuring out the difference and so on. Um, so it, it makes it a lot easier because uh, you can, you know, all previous states without storing all of it because uh, you can do something fairly clever with that. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's really cool. Um, yeah, hopefully, you know, the, I, I think this is post um, Taproot because I think it requires Schnorr. Uh, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how Lightning channels evolve and whether implementations can really take advantage of this sort of uh, style. Um, Antoine Riard has disclosed a vulnerability on Lightning clients involving Dust HDLCs. The basic vulnerability is that one party can define their Dust limit to be very large and punish their counterparty by forcing them to pay large fees. This doesn't necessarily benefit the party that creates this attack, though it's certainly possible if that party is also a minor. But the ability to punish their channel partner is potentially hazardous. This, the vulnerability has been patched, but it's interesting to see how subtle things like the dust limit can cause trouble. So, um, you know, this is uh, an, a, a vulnerability apparently that uh, Antoine found like a few years ago, and they've been working to patch it. It's very tricky because uh, dust limits are very important. Um, and, you know, apparently the, you know, changing the dust limit discussion, uh, you know, would have changed like the actual implementation of how this got handled. So, you know, there, there was some delay there, but uh, very interesting, you know, uh, possible bug uh, that, that did get patched. Arcane Research has published a report on the state of the Lightning Network. The report shows just how much light the Lightning Network keeps growing and shows general trends like the fact that it's gone from mostly a way to pay online to being used more for peer-to-peer -peer payments. The report is thorough and meant for people researching the Lightning Network. I suspect many more companies will be bullish on Lightning after reading this report. Uh, so th this is meant for... Uh, people looking into the Lightning Network and, you know, they give an, a really good overview and so on. Uh, speaking of which, we're now at over 3,000 Bitcoin locked up in public Lightning channels. 2,000 Bitcoin was surpassed only a few months ago. So this looks like the early part of some exponential growth. I suspect El Salvador and Plebnet are the main reasons for its growth. And as they continue to grow, Lightning capacity should grow with it. A lot of people are, you know, adding public channels to Lightning. Um, and certainly the, you know, I mean, 3,000 Bitcoins, a freaking lot of money. Uh, that That's what, um, you know, current uh, prices, like $150 million. Uh, that's a lot of value. Uh, and that, uh, you know, it'll only grow from here as Bitcoin price rises and so on. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just so incredibly convenient. Um, and... We're, we're seeing the ecosystem really grow as a result. 
Right, let's talk about economics, engineering, etc. Greg Foss calculates the value of Bitcoin using credit default stop swaps. His thesis in this intrinsic value calculation is based on insuring against the default of the U.S. dollar. Based on what credit default stops uh, swaps on U.S. Treasuries trade for, he thinks that the Bitcoin market cap, based uh, on protection against USD default alone is around 1.33 trillion to 1.9 trillion which is more than the current market market cap of around 1 trillion dollars given that there are a lot more currencies that bitcoin also hedges against he comes to the conclusion that bitcoin is severely undervalued this is an interesting way to price bitcoin and i think there's some merit in it so uh, according to his calculation uh, you know just you know uh, protecting against uh, you know, uh, U.S. dollar uh, default makes Bitcoin worth like two trillion, which would be double the current price, uh, or one point three three to one point nine trillion. So, like, you know, I guess like a seventy percent increase based on just the U.S. dollar. Uh, there's obviously the euro, the yuan, and many other currencies. Uh, I and you know, if you add all those up, then it gets to be a significantly larger number. Um, so yeah, it would be very interesting to uh, you know see see if that metric uh, gets closer and closer uh, as we uh, get more into the Bitcoinization of the economy. Edward Snowden has a must-read long read about how CBDCs are a threat to freedom. The article is thorough and goes into what a uh, central bank digital currency is, the history of money, and the role of commercial banks. His conclusion is that CBDCs will be used for all sorts of privacy violations and that the government will have unprecedented control over our lives. As he says, banks aren't holding gold or even cash anymore. They are essentially an intermediary for money printing through loans. Awesome article, and I'm glad to see that Snowden has such a clear understanding of our current system and what CBDCs will do. Um, yeah, I was a little surprised that Snowden is writing about CD CBDCs, but kind of makes sense. Uh, although the country he's currently residing in, I think, is uh, looking at CBDCs as a way of authoritarian control. So who knows? David Morris opines that we can use as much energy as we want. The article is a nice counter to the ESG narrative. And though we've seen so many such articles in the past few years, this one has a different punch. The argument goes far deeper into the purpose of energy and how it ultimately advances humanity. The article is based on this documentary produced by Swan Bitcoin, which is also worth watching. Uh, the, uh, the article and the documentary are worth uh, watching and reading. Uh, but yeah, it's called The Green Machine, I believe, uh, and it's on YouTube and you can just go watch it for free. It's like 30 or 40 minutes. And it just uh, basically covers all of the... Uh, purpose of energy and why, uh, you know, Bitcoin, is, uh, like using energy for Bitcoin is great and we should keep going. Uh, Nick Carter explains how investors can make sure energy is green in his article on pig ovian economics. The gist is that by subsidizing green energy mining, non-green energy mining will not be competitive and will thus go away, making all mining green. A Pigovian tax is a tax on emissions, and this is the inverse, where the more desirable environmental outcome is supported by the market. As he points out, those who want cleaner energy Bitcoin can simply subsidize it instead of using government force. The thought experiment here is definitely worth exploring with the ESG types that want to argue Bitcoin is bad and have no understanding of energy markets. 
Um, and Nick obviously knows a whole lot about energy markets, and he's uh, commented a whole uh, bunch about it. And uh, and this article is no exception. He he really gets deep into um, you know how governments subsidize green energy uh, using a Pigovian tax. So. Um, you know, being able to do that in a market perspective, um, you, you could potentially have all, you know, clean energy Bitcoin mining if if so wanted. Tomer Strolite explains what the Bitcoin rule is. This is a take on the golden rule, but instead it's more about consensus and finding something all parties can agree to. This is notably different than majority rule, which generally will punish the minority. Sadly, majority rule is the best we can hope for in a fiat system with dictatorship by a few the worst. This is why I say that Bitcoin is freedom money. So I, I liked his conception of the Bitcoin rule. It is a mutual agreement. It's what market participants do every day. Um, and it is, in a way, loving your fellow man. All right, some quick hits. Uh, Liquid had some problems with the postmortem here. Uh, so Blockstream published the postmortem of what happened on Liquid. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have that much to say about it other than, you know, some things failed. And it is uh, kind of centralized, right? Like uh, it's federated, but uh, the code is centralized and so on. So that's that's kind of what happens sometimes. Uh, but, you know, that it's not the main thing. Um, main thing is Bitcoin and they are a side chain. So, yeah, there you go. Riot blockchain has mined a lot of Bitcoin and are holding it. Marathon has stats on what they're doing as well. Uh, so those two are public companies uh, that are into Bitcoin mining and they have some stats and so on. Uh, you know, talking about what they're what, what's actually going on. So really interesting stuff. Um, and I recommend you go take a look at how they're doing. There are no less than four Bitcoin ETFs that may be approved before the end of the month. Um, and this may or may not be true, but certainly uh, it looks like the SEC is looking at it. And there are a lot of ETFs that are currently sort of in the process. The most expensive coin in the world is now a Casatius coin. This is a 1000 BTC Casatius coin that got graded by... Um, yeah, you know, coin grader. I, I think they have uh, you know people that specifically do this. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's a thousand Bitcoin, uh, you know, uh, coin uh, that that are all loaded on there is uh, worth like what fifty five million, fifty seven million right now. So uh, you know that plus the numismatic value is probably at least a little more than that. So it's an insane, insane uh, amount of money for a single coin. But there it is. Another week, another centralized altcoin makes a really dumb mistake. Uh, uh, this is on the Compound Protocol where <laughs> they made like uh, a bunch of Compound available and they're like, they threaten people with, hey, like we're going to uh, report your stuff as uh, income and to the IRS and people are like, who cares? I'm still making money. So yeah, um, yeah, lots of dumb mistakes in this uh, decentralized finance, which is neither decentralized nor finance. Events. Uh, so uh, I did have a couple events this past week, so uh, don't have anything for at least a few weeks. Uh, the next one I will be at is TabConf, November 4th and 5th, and I'm doing the pro uh, 4th, 5th, and 6th. Uh, and the Programming Blockchain Seminar is in Atlanta, Georgia, November 2nd and 3rd. It's a two-day seminar for programmers to learn about Bitcoin, and you can apply, and there are scholarships. On this week's uh, Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Pete Rizzo about altcoin ethics. He He's definitely thought through the uh, piece 
uh, that this episode is based on. Uh, and we talked about why he made the argument that he did. He's uh, become one of the more important journalists in this space, and his argument has some serious teeth. Um, I also read through last week's newsletter, and I was on Tone Show to talk about the Oslo Freedom Forum, the 1,000 Bitcoin coin, and more. Um, I talked to hardcore crypto about why all coins are scams. And my fireside chat with Stefan Levera from the Oslo Freedom Forum is up. And my fireside chat with Ted Cruz at the Texas Blockchain Summit is also up. If you want to you know, see basically what I did last week, you can go on YouTube and check them out. Uh, I talked about the fixed uh, truth. About fixed truth with the uh, Bitcoin worldview in light of the new book. Thank God for Bitcoin. Um, my other books are the Little Bitcoin book and Programming Bitcoin, which you can find on Amazon. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at Unchained.com. Fiat de Linda S. This song is done. <laughs>